Let's record. We're on. All right. <clears throat> Father, you are the only one that can settle our hearts and our minds. <clears throat> we ask that you would um, just pave the way through our minds and heart right now to receive your word through this amazing content that you've given us in the book of Acts, where your kingdom is celebrated and proclaimed <clears throat> and has been the basis, Lord, of all ministry since then. And so we pray to be, uh, have the spirit of the, the book of Acts, Lord. <clears throat> we know it's a different time and place, but your principles stay the same. So God, go before us and, and just illuminate your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we had, a, uh, we had basically a, an overview of Acts chapter 19 to 25. But we were sort of at the end of the overview hinting at the major theme, which is culminating <clears throat> through these final chapters of the book of Acts. And so does anybody remember what that theme is? What we were talking about? Or did I not make it too clear? I may not have made it as clear. Uh, it's the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God <clears throat> is, was the content, the primary basis of the, the, the gospel message was, yes, it was the gospel that launched the kingdom of God, but it's the kingdom of God um, that being lived out among, the, among Christians that is moving us toward that ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom as we read in the book of Revelation when Christ will return and then it will become crystal clear that this entire age that we know of from the beginning of creation till now is a type and a foreshadow of the next age where God is present in his temple with a certain people in the Old Testament and then his true temple comes down from heaven, Jesus Christ. And he then has the, dies on the cross and enables many temples to now go out throughout the whole world. This is going to explode for us at the end when we are going to see that all of this is pointing to the ultimate purpose of God's creation. And that is for the whole world to be filled with his glory and for the temple of God to literally be the whole entire creation. But again, the temple of God has many parts. There's the outer court, which is for the Gentiles, which is where all the sacrifices were made. Okay, and that's sort of like what we're in right now. You know, we, we, have, we can't enter into the holy place unless it comes through the blood of Christ. And so the holy place, that perfect square that's, that's uh, in the Old Testament that shows us the, the perfect place being um, measured exactly on all sides. It's like a perfect cube. John tells us in the book of Revelation that that's what the new Jerusalem is as well. So that perfect temple, holy of holies, where we're forbidden to enter only the high priest, Jesus dying on the cross, our ultimate high priest, has covered it with his blood so that the whole world can be that temple. And that's why those that don't know Christ will be pushed to the outside because there will be no sin. There will be no unclean thing in the new kingdom. And so what we are to do now as believers is to live that out. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, right? The Sermon on the Mount is about Jesus 
um, doing the work of a type of Moses, Moses really being a type of Christ, and he's now breaking down the law. And the law he shows us is spiritual. And he gives us the practical applications of laying down our life and forgiving others and receiving forgiveness from God. That's how kingdom people are to live. So we are to live in anticipation of that full-blown kingdom that is, going, that is on its way, and we are involved with that. And so the kingdom, again, this book of Acts is sort of a, you know, God's ultimate wisdom is sort of like a, I don't like to overuse this word, but I do. It's a microcosm of what's going to happen with, to the whole, and what is happening to the whole entire creation. And Paul lays out that microcosm in his journey to the ultimate ruler of the earth at that time, which is Rome. So the book of Acts is really, we see in the beginning the spread of the church, but then it starts to bottleneck. And the whole goal is for the gospel to be preached at Rome and have the great confrontation between the ruler of this world, the character of the ruler of this world, I should say, and Christianity and Jesus Christ. And they come to a collision and we see who the victory is. And this is why Paul's heading to Rome. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, it applies to us because we each have a calling in our lives. We are all, we were literally before time began chosen by God, not just unto a salvation, not just like, I want him to have a get out of hell free card. I want her to have a get out of free card, hell out of free. No, it was God's character of love that was expressive when he chose a people for himself. It would be uncharacteristic for God to destroy the creation and not have a remnant because God is love. No, despite how evil people are, God still always provides a way for them to come back. And that was a, a very complicated process in the old, but in the new, he's finalized it and simplified it. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on Christ and you fulfill the law. Love God, love your neighbor, fulfill the law. Could you shut that door, sweetie? Thank you. Just this main door here. They can come in and out. Oh, no, you got it. Great. So, <clears throat> I lost one minute. So, uh, <clears throat> someone tell me what I just said. Yeah, yeah, fulfill the law, right? So, so Christ and, and believing in him fills the whole entire law. And so how this um, pertains to us is that we are to walk in grace and faith. Yes, but God chose us before time began, this is what I'm going to get to, with a specific purpose to be here, to build towards that end result. So the salvation, like, you know, how Paul says in Romans 8, uh, 28, I believe it is, where, where he talks about, or it may be before that, I don't know off, I forget. But he says, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he sanctified, and those he sanctified, he glorified. 
and everybody, you know, rightly so, they, they call this the, what they call the order, or the order of salvation, or ordo salutis, theological term. It's a very studied text. And recent scholarship has come out and said that this isn't necessarily to prove how God saves, although it does. That's not the context of what Paul's doing. It's Romans 8. Now, Romans 8 is the promised land, right? Remember we talked about this? Romans 6 is the slavery of sin compared to the Exodus, right? Romans 7 is the law, but then we can't fulfill the law. We have this body of flesh. And he says, but there is now no condemnation, verse 8, in those who are in Christ Jesus. And verse 8 is all promised land, new creation language. He talks about the the, uh, the creation waits in anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was cursed, right? And now it also waits for the revelation so it can be renewed. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, yes. What did I say? Thank you. Um, and so uh, verse chapter for me is 50-50. You know, does he mean verse or does he mean chapter? <laughs> we got to just use, you know, I like to have you guys think. That's, what I, that's why. So, uh, but thank you, Ovira. So, Always feel free to, to correct me, even from the pulpit, if especially, because I hate going back uh, and saying, that was wrong. Where's Rebecca when you need her, right? Because I'll say stuff and Rebecca will be like, I'm like what, Rebecca? She goes, that's, that's John chapter 11. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this chain of redemption or this order of salvation is in the past tense. All of those words, even glorified, they're all verbs in the past tense, okay? Adjectives in the past tense. They're all words in the past tense. And it means, and Paul is rejoicing in that because of God's grace and calling of our lives. So there's a drastic importance for us to understand that we are called to be Builders of his kingdom. That is first and foremost. And then in each of our lives, there's, there's components of that. So if you're a father uh, uh, and a husband, your component is love your wife, lead your family, and that's your first ministry. And then secondly, what has God called me to do? And, and of course, you can look at your occupation. Where you are right now is where God has you. How can you be a great witness in that? Because that's what moves the kingdom of God forward. So we are, we are uh, like I said, this book is a microcosm of our whole entire life, right? And so, and, and the church's whole entire mission to, to, to claim uh, Christ King over all creation. And so I'm not going to go back through all these chapters, but I do want to go and review the, the theme that I just mentioned from chapter 19 to 25 and how it comes out. And so would somebody like to read chapter 19, verses 8 and 9? Chapter 19, verses 8 and 9. Do you want to listen to a lisp? Yeah, I like lisps. (laughs) And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Great. 
And so before I get to that scripture, I just want to make a correction. So yes, the chain of redemption is, is all verbs. And it was those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. I said sanctified instead. Sorry about that. So yeah, so what is Paul, what was he doing when he went to Ephesus? The first thing he did was he found some disciples. He made sure they had the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And then he went in to the synagogues and he started preaching and reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God. And so it's so important that we, because the kingdom of God, you could flash back through all the gospels and even is in, in the old Testament. Okay. These, the Kings were a type of the future King to come, but God always reigned in the old Testament as King. The, the mantra was no king but God. That's what, like, if they had T-shirts back then, that's what they would wear, right? No king but God. And uh, that's what uh, Judas Maccabeus claimed after he defeated um, uh, the, the pagan ruler that took over the temple and sacrificed pigs and all this stuff. He went in and defeated him. And he said, when he took it, he said, there is no king but God. And God had his hand in that whole thing. It's not a biblical book, but uh, it's a very good commentary. Read uh, First and Second Maccabees. Again, it's not uh, inspired scripture, but I think it's edifying to see the, the historical context right before Christ came a couple hundred years. So yeah, so now, so he proclaimed the kingdom of God, but then what happened is, is that he had more or minor persecution, right? So if you see here, you know, he, consp- he, he spoke boldly for three months, but people became hardened, disobedient, and spoke evil. And so this is so important for us to get. As we are in this battle, we are going to have persecutions, difficulties, distresses, all the things that Paul talks about. So going with the fact that you know your calling doesn't mean that all the doors are going to swing wide open and you're going to fly around and everything's going to work out. Nope, you're going to get your calling and then you're going to get smacked, right? You're going to be like, whoa, Lord, how come, uh, you know, all these doors are closing? Lord, you called me. How come my wife tells me I can never do this in a million years? How come, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not leaving me any time to work on the, my calling and my ministry? How come you're not opening any doors for me at work? How come I'm just sitting here? What am I supposed to do? I work in, a, you know, in, in, in the basement, right, at my company. And, uh, I, I'm, you know, how do I do it? God, you have to be patient as we're going to see. And so the, the verse 21 in chapter 19, Paul then starts to give a hint. Anybody want to read that if they have it available? Uh, uh, 19 verse 21. After all, all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Yep. So where did Paul get this notion from? We don't know. We can speculate. Somehow my, my translation throws in resolve in the spirit to estimate. Right. So, but let me see if that's what the text actually says. Hold on one second. I don't, I don't believe it. See, again, we have to be careful. And this is why we always want to check when we're studying the word. Mine also says uh, a note to that. We're decided in the spirit. Right. 
Right, but there is no nuance in that in that text here. Let me just bring it up and tell you. Acts nineteen. Yeah, mine in Spanish, which is usually very similar to the King James version. Whose version? Uh, my, and mine in Spanish. He proposed in in his uh, in spirit to go to Jerusalem. Purpose in spirit. Right. So, but, but that is, isn't saying that the Holy Spirit, it's not a capital S, right? No. Yeah. Minus, In other words, it is. So, but this is not, and when you look at it here. Excuse me, as a reference, not, oh, okay, not good. as in the text, but as a reference. Yeah. And so the, the old manuscripts have a capital S, but the word is pneuma. And the word can simply mean um, you know, the, the vital principle by which the body is animated, a rational spirit produced by human being, feeling, thinking, and deciding. And I would say it errors on that. But if it's error on the spirit, great. If it's the Holy Spirit leading him, great. But did Paul actually know this? Did he feel the, did he actually know the purpose of that? I, I believe so. He says, I must go see Rome. And so either way, I don't want to get caught up on, on, on um, the semantics of the word here, but his journey now of his ultimate goal where he was headed is becoming exposed. Whereas his first, he went on three missionary journeys. And you know the stories. I mean, he, you know, he, he suffered major persecution and enjoyed many blessings and celebration unto the Lord. Right? And so... That's how it is with our calling. It's not a straight line. It's not up, up, up. It's up and down. And there's times of despair. But we must see resolve to continue to go where we believe that the Lord is calling us. So he says, I must go to Rome. And then there's some blessing after this. Um, Paul is, uh, I'm sorry, right before this, there was the blessing of those people that repented and burned all their books that were so valuable. Then Paul says, I must go to Rome. And then he receives persecution right away from the people of Ephesus uh, because of the god Artemis and, and all lowercase g. And so Paul sees, that's from verse 23 all the way to the end of the chapter of chapter 19. So you could read that on your own. And then in chapter 20, he goes... I'm sorry. Yeah. No, the theme of uh, uh, the theme of 19, I believe, would be um, Paul being, you know, led through Ephesus, being led by, uh, you know, by the Lord um, without maybe with or without him knowing. And uh, I would just say that his his. It, the linchpin there to, to Rome is in verse 21 that we just read. But I don't know if I, if I, I would just say persecution and blessing towards his calling. I guess that would be the, be the theme. And then in Macedonia in Greece in chapter 20. And uh, verse 23, if you want to read 2023, someone. Uh, actually, we start from 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, do I go to 24? Yeah, sure, you can read that. However, it's a great I, verse. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So again, I, I'm called by God and the Holy Spirit that called me to this mission is now telling me that bonds, chains, and afflictions await. And now our, our mentality is, you know, well, is that really the Lord? I mean, he's leading me into, you know, the possibility of persecution or the possibility of, you know, not having enough money or whatever the case may be. But he still moves forward. And this verse 24 that she, uh, Elvira read should be our attitude, okay, towards our calling, towards Christ. None of these things move me. Why? Because I don't count my life dear unto myself. I'm dead. I'm, the old man is dead. I am now Christ. I'm going to finish my course with joy. Remember, joy is only can be used in the biblical sense in the context of selflessness, love. <clears throat> I will finish my course with joy. What is that course? To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. We're going to talk a lot about God's grace today in our sermon, but it, by the grace of God. So Paul's attitude should be ours. And then we go to chapter 21. He goes to Syria, to, to Tyre, and then to Caesarea because he's on his way to Jerusalem for the celebration, we believe, of either the Passover or Pentecost. He goes to Jerusalem. He meets with the elders at the, of the church and the whole leaders of the church, James reigning over as the bishop, I guess you could say. And he tells them all the great things God did and he gets challenged by his own too. He says, we heard that you're telling all these Jewish people who are very zealous for the law, who just came to Christ, that the law is not effective any, in effect anymore and all that. And do you believe that? And Paul said, oh, you don't, he, he, I get the sense that he just was like, they're not going to really understand because Paul, like Peter said, talks of some very difficult things in his letters. And so he says, listen, I'm not doing that. He believed Christ fulfilled the law, didn't negate the law, but he also didn't want people to think they have to become a Jew first, get circumcised to be a Christian and follow all the laws. What are the, the things they decided on? Well, let's not commit fornication. That Tell the Gentiles this. Don't commit fornication. Don't eat food with us that was strangled, you know, uh, uh, with blood in it. And this will, and, and don't eat anything with blood in it, and this, or sacrifice to idols, and this will appease the Jews. This will give them the ability, they'll be okay to have you in their presence. Paul said, no problem. I'll even take a vow with, the, with them. I'll go into the temple so that everybody sees that I'm obeying the law. So Paul does that. And very often times we, and, and he, I don't believe he was compromising at all. Don't think that he was compromising because he was doing it from the heart, Right? He was doing it from the grace of God. And, you know, back then they were in synagogues preaching Christ. You know, they didn't abandon everything. You know, they, it was a connection that happened 
from the time of Christ until the destruction of Jerusalem, there was a continuity there with Judaism. But the Judaizers were saying, you got to become a Jew. The ones that were Jewish and they were Christian were okay with that. They didn't think that they had to become a Jew, but they still from their heart felt convicted to have to go to the temple, go to, to do certain things. And Paul's like, you don't really don't have to do that. But if you want to do that, you know, go ahead and, and, and just don't impose it on others. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that we come across that oftentimes that people who are truly believers, you know, or, but have stayed in a denomination that, that yeah. does not preach. They know that it's, a, I, I have good friends that are like that, you know, they're, they're completely, you know, against dispensationalism and, uh, you know, the, pretty much the separation completely of Israel from, uh, from the church and that, you know, the tribulation and all these things. And I'm not, if you believe that, I mean, we could talk about that another day, but they adamantly don't believe it and they hear it every day. Yet they still feel that their ministry is at that church. And I think that we could have fellowship with, with those that believe that don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, but the point is, is that it gets extreme when you when you know that you're in a church that's you know has really associated with workspace salvation, um, praying to idols, you know, praying to intermediaries, saints, and things like that. But, but uh, what statues and why they stay there is because they believe that the church, just like Martin Luther did, and just like John Calvin, they were priests in the Catholic Church. And they wanted to reform the Catholic Church. They didn't want to leave it and make, but that's what ended up happening, and that's when the Protestantism, you know, came in about and the Reformation and all that. So I believe people that do that feel like they're, if they do it, they're being disloyal to the true Church. You know. So is the parallel a good parallel? You know, to say that today when people might be believers and stay in that. Yeah. It would be sort of the same, but imagine those people saying to you, you're not a true Christian unless you do the same. You've got to be in the Catholic Church and can, you can continue going. Unless you do all the sacraments. Right, and all the sacraments and the, and the things, because that's what basically they were saying. We agree that we're, we, all, we all agree on the Trinity and that Jesus died for our sins. And that's fine if you want to go worship at your church, but you better make sure that you stay loyal to the mother church. You know, the Apostolic Succession Church. They so believe it came from Peter. Yeah, that's pretty much a good comp- that's a good uh, comparison with the Judaizers. Okay. And I have one more question. Sure. You started by saying you were going to review the themes of each of the chapters. Yeah. What was the theme then of chapter twenty? Well, what I was saying was is the 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 theme. What I really meant is the themes of uh, the theme of the chapters is. God's kingdom being proclaimed and journeying to Rome okay. to face the ruler of the world. Yeah. No, because they're all connected. They're all connected. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, but you know what? You certainly could dig up a theme. Um, but I, I don't want to distract you from the main theme right now. And, and I want to keep on this track of going to Rome because I think this is a really cool uh, conclusion to, to this section. So, yes, yeah, so Paul, you know, uh, there's more warnings in chapter 21. Agabus comes to him. 
It says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. The Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. And Paul said, why are you weeping? Don't you know that I'm ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of Jesus? I'm ready to die. And then he said, the will of the Lord be done. That should be our attitude towards everything. Not that we're running into the, you know, into the battlefield just saying, oh, you know, God will save me. And we, we're done, right? Paul's not saying that. What he's saying is, look, I feel called to do this. And that calling will not be usurped by my feeling and fear of being persecuted or even dying. And that's what our attitude should be. When we're called to do something, and this is a muscle we have to work out because this doesn't just instantly come, you know, maybe when we first get saved, we got that crazy zeal, you know, and uh, which is great. (laughs) But, you know, now we have to be calculated and be sensitive to the leading of the spirit. And so at, at certain times, you, you, you can't not do something. It's like, I can't not. That's what happened with me as a, being called into the ministry was, wow, Lord, you're really hedging my way with thorns. I can't not do this. And that's what he's, he confirmed to me. And that was a great feeling at that point. And I wrote it down so I could often, you know, after Sunday, I run home and I read. <laughs> okay, you're going to be all right. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Not quite that way, but you get the point. I yeah. Say, I mean, it's sometimes we might not relate because we are not being called yet to prisons mm-hmm. and tribulations like Paul. Yeah. But what if I'm called to uncomfortable living? What if I'm called to give up things that I enjoy very much? Yeah. And and it, we are a pleasure-seeking culture. You know, all yeah. that brings us pleasure, we will do. If it's not fun, if it's not pleasurable. It might be uncomfortable. So I think we need to change our mentality. Yeah. That if God is, is not prison, so then I'm okay. Right. But God is asking you to give up something. Like I'm thinking of my mom. I know the Lord has given her the task to raise two girls. Yeah. And she has so many people telling her she should not do this. Mm. Because she's already 75. Her friend, not Christian. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, it's... Why? Because she should be dancing like she was before. She should be taking her lessons. She should be knitting or I don't know what, whatever. But not raising two kids. She's yeah. past that. And, 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 and this is such an important ministry. That's yeah. not just for grandkids, obviously. She has to do it. But it is doing it in a way that glorifies the Lord. So there's sometimes the Lord is calling us to give us things that are good things. you know, And it's not calling us to prison. And uh, it, it, it is coming from the tribulation because raising a yeah. teenager is tribulation. Yeah. But nine and a thirteen year old that know everything, uh, and so it is hard. It is not easy, and it's 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 a humongous task. And every time I'm like, so I, I'm like, ah, because I have to follow up with my mom, so she follows up with them, and it's such mm. a com- complex situation, right? She's another generation, but uh, but I have to remember this is a task that you have called my mom. Right. It's uncomfortable for me to and be it's, coaching. It's has called to you too. And that's yeah. my calling yeah. to step on the side because I could do this job. Yeah. But I'm not there. Right. So she has to do it. And yeah. so anyway, but I'm just saying sometimes we we don't we we think it has to be something so humongous that the Lord is calling me, but it's the daily task of yeah. uh, giving up yourself, dying mm. to self to to let the Lord do what he wants to do. Yeah. And sometimes it's as easy as <laughs> 
I cannot do those things that I wanted to do because I'm, instead of that, I am going to school meetings, I am uh, doing homework, I am taking care, I mean, it's, it's yeah. so anyway. That's a very good point. Thanks, Elvira. Yeah. And also, too, we, we, you know, we, it's almost easier for us to say, I would die for Christ than to say, you know, I'm going to be taken out of my regular routine, you know, to do this or this is going to mess up my goals and my, you know, what I thought God was leading me to. And so that is a, that was a really um, profound uh, application. That's why there. I don't have any routines. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You're a wise woman. You're a wise woman. You're a wise woman. They can never take a big stir. Yeah, right. <laughs> Paul is then seized in the temple, right? Again, again, more persecution. And this is in verse 27. And this is where it begins. Because Paul's seizing in Jerusalem um, was critical to his journey to Rome because this is the catalyst for him to get before Festus and Felix and Agrippa where he was able to testify and say, I'm a Roman citizen. Are you going to flog a Roman citizen? And they're like, you're a Roman? You know, I paid a lot for my citizenship. I'll, I was born with it, Paul said. And then Paul got, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't flog him. And then when they brought him before Felix, he appealed to Rome. And uh, Felix didn't do anything, didn't, you know, do anything, but the Jews wanted him to be kept in prison. And so they kept him in Caesarea because he was afraid there was plots against his life. So Caesarea was just north of Jerusalem. And uh, that's where Philip the Evangelist, we talked about him, that's where he lived. And so, um, hey girls. And so... He went there, and then in Caesarea is where he had these councils with, uh, with Felix. He was there three years, and then Festus, um, who, was, who replaced him. Felix was a governor like Pontius Pilate, right? He was the governor of Jerusalem that time. And so he was replaced by Festus, and uh, I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. So let me go to chapter 22. <clears throat> It says in verse um, 25 to 28, we're not going to read the whole thing here, but this is what I just explained to you. Is it lawful for you to, to, lawful for you to scourge a man who's Roman? Mm-hmm. And then in chapter 23, there's this great disturbance when Paul speaks before the council and he uses wisdom. Because again, he wants to get to Rome. So he sees Pharisees and Sadducees there. And they are at, always at war with each other over the concept of afterlife and resurrection. The Sadducees thought that, you know, after life is done, no existence. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the supernatural being, anything like that. Pharisees were opposite where they believed a lot like some of the doctrines that we've carried over. They believed in the sovereignty of God. They believed in an afterlife. They believed uh, in the kingdom of God, that it was going to come and that all the Jews would be raised at the end and so they were more they when the the resurrection topic came it started to be a madhouse and they said we got to get we got to get him out of here uh, otherwise he's going to be killed but this is the real real verse that brings everything into focus because after this time paul is probably thinking wow lord this isn't really going the way i thought i'm getting persecuted how is this going to work and then somebody read verse 11 on chapter 23. 
following night, the Lord's Lord there, Paul, and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Yes. So here it comes. This is it. Jesus is saying to him now and making it clear. And so this is a great thing to remember, too, is that as we receive our calling, we stay towards our calling and the Lord will make it, will confirm it more and more and more. And, and, and the one thing we want to know is, is we want to learn is, is that the confirmation shouldn't be sensed necessarily from our situations. It should be based upon the spirit of God in us and the Lord speaking to our heart through the scriptures It spoke audibly to Paul. But we have something much better than that. We have the word of God that we can continue to go back to over and over and over again. Was it really Jesus that I heard? Was that Jesus's voice or was it the enemy's voice? You can bypass all that. Go right to the word. All right. And then he says, you've got a witness in Rome. Great. I'm ready to go. And so uh, they were setting up an ambush. And and I'm sorry, this is where he was moved to Caesarea. This is, um, you'll see um, that in the rest of chapter 23. Chapter 24, Paul is before Felix, the new governor. I'm sorry, Felix, the governor. And I I love chapter uh, verse 25 of 24. It says, um, but uh, let's start with with, uh, 24. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus Christ. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and I'll find time to summon you later. So again, remember, Paul was told by Jesus back in Acts chapter 9. Um, actually, he was. At, this was a word to Ananias. Remember, Paul came off, got struck down, right? He was blinded for three days, and then some just normal old follower of Christ, right, gets a vision from the Lord and says, Paul is over here, Saul is over here, Go lay your hands on him. And uh, so he could see, and this guy was like, are you, are you kidding, Lord? Like, seriously now, this is the guy that's killing people and, uh, and, and destroying the church. You know, like, God, you, you, need, uh, to fig- you need to really you know, consider this. And then he says, Lord says to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. He must suffer. I will show him how much he must suffer with that amazing calling for my sake. And this is a fulfillment of that. He is before kings. He is before rulers. He went before the Gentiles. He went before the people of Israel. And so this is a fulfillment of that. We're seeing the the connection now all the way to Rome. All the way back from Paul's conversion, he was called. All the way back from your conversion, you were called with the purpose that God has for you, his ultimate purpose in your life. Now, it may not seem like a straight, you know, continued road, but you don't see how God sees. And so everything that happened in your life prior to this moment, everything, every experience, every trial, every pain, every suffering, is geared towards your calling to shape you into the person you need to be. And this is where God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's working them all for good. 
and you are moving along and you may get to the Lord and see your calling and look back and it'll just be like this road of glory that you didn't really even notice at the time you were so into it. And so be patient with the Lord with your calling, especially when you don't have all the answers and you're going up and down and all this stuff. And Paul, even in the midst of all this, on his way to Rome, he's preaching the gospel. And so on the way to wherever we're headed, we ought to be preaching the gospel, discipling people. Because Jesus gave us that command, because he is now king and he is going up and is seated already at the right hand of the Father. And he promises that he'll be with us forever. And so as we do this... And so I thought it was kind of neat that he goes before Festus. And you know what the word Festus, well, his name, was, his name was Porcius Festus, which is sort of an ironic name. Like my daughter's name is Zoe Necarado. My word, the last name Necarado refers to death and blackness, and her name is life, you know. And so Festus, Porcius means pig, and Festus means joyful and celebrate and celebrating like a, in a festival, right? Not festivus, you know, like Frank Costanza used to talk about all the time. You know, it's a secular holiday, December 23rd, festivus for those that don't want to be, you know, caught up in all the, the, uh, the craziness. And um, Festus, he goes and brings him to, uh, to King Agrippa. Uh, in chapter twenty, in chapter twenty-five, and he doesn't even know what charges to bring against Paul, and he just tells him, "Look, I, he wants to appeal to Caesar, which is fine, but I don't even know what, when I send him to Caesar, I can't just send him without a really good explanation, or I'm going to be hanging." And so Paul goes before Agrippa, and that's what we'll talk about next week. So, what are we all to learn from this? So what, right? Jesus is king. Caesar is not. Jesus is now the new ruler of the world. Caesar is no longer. And the Roman kingdom was one of the strongest kingdoms ever to be around. And they ruled the entire world. They had provinces all over the Middle East, Europe, everywhere, as far as China and Russia. And so this was a powerful, powerful uh, country. And God chose this time, at the right time, he sent his son So that he can go and not only uh, die on the cross, but also to fulfill his kingdom, show us that this is a picture of not just that time, but the whole entire age that we are in right now. Jesus is now, like I said, acts as that microcosm. Jesus is now king overall. And so we must go therefore. And I think uh, John chapter 12, I'll read that real quick and then we'll close is pertinent here. Um, if you remember, Jesus is in agony. He says, now, this is 27, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sakes, but for yours. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from all the earth, I will, from the earth I will draw all men to myself. 
And so this has a double meaning. Us, we can look back in hindsight and know that anybody outside of Israel and then anybody outside of Christ was a pagan. They weren't allowed to come in. Right? And that's typified in the Old Testament with the, with the temple and all that stuff. And now in the New Testament, it's also typified with us, the living temples. To become a living temple, to enter into that embodiment, we must have Christ's blood covering us. No one can get into the kingdom without coming through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the judgment, when the people are hearing this, they're thinking ruler of this world, Caesar. And Jesus is playing on that because truly he is taking out Caesar and becoming not only the spiritual king, but the actual physical reigning king. And we do know that who was behind this crucifixion? It was Satan. He was behind it, pushing it forward. He's walking right into a trap, not knowing that the cross was going to be his death. It was Jesus's death and his life afterwards in the resurrection. So hopefully that was helpful. Next week, we'll, we'll jump into the next chapter. And then uh, we're almost done through Acts, depending on if someone else is going to be teaching. That'll determine how long I'll take through the next couple. We'll start with verse 1 of chapter 26. You know. Anyway, let's pray. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I remember you talking the one time about calling and saying something about a journal. Yes. Because I think that was so helpful. Yeah, that was amazing. Because when I came out of U-Turn for Christ, I, I had a really dramatic conversion experience there where the Lord really revealed himself to me. So when I, when I got converted, I uh, you know, felt the strong presence of the Lord. And I mean, I could have been in like, uh, what do you call it? Um, when, you're, when you're trying to get off of drugs and you're... Not have, no, the, the feel. What is it called? I, I can't. Detox. Detox. What is it? Withdrawals. Withdrawals. Yes. I could have been having withdrawals. Okay. I don't know. But I saw visions and stuff. And, and one of the visions I saw was, was me preaching. But I was always a speaker. So that could have just been my flesh. And I saw, you know, I don't, I shouldn't record this here.